Help me to articulate what you've placed inside my heart. I thank you, Father, that you would give us ears to hear, Father, that, man, we'd have a revelation of your love for us and who we are in you and, Father, the inheritance that you've given us. And I just thank you, Father, for helping me to articulate all the things that you've put in my mind and my heart and that the words that I say would build your people up and cause them to walk in the way that you've called them to walk. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, um, as uh, Pastor Justin said, we've been speaking on Ephesians. And uh, so he asked me to speak on Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. But as you know, the last two weeks, um, we've only gotten to about Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 2. And uh, so, but everything will be okay because, uh, you know, Pastor Justin really has this amazing teaching gift, as we're all aware of, that, man, he can take one verse or two verses and expound on it for like 60 minutes. Well, my gift is to be able to take 60 verses and expound on it for two minutes. So if you ever have to work with the kids, I'm the guy that you want speaking in the main service when that takes place. Amen? But what I want to do is uh, he'll come back and he'll definitely speak on verses 2 through 15. But I want to kind of give a synopsis up to verse 15, because that's where I'm going to speak. And uh, man, God has just really put some really, um, it has been a big learning experience for me, even as I was doing this, there was times I would just have to stop and go like, put on a worship song and begin to worship God as I began to meditate on these verses. But you start out in the book of Ephesians, in verse number one, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. He says, to the saints who are in Ephesus. So he starts out by, and faithful in Christ Jesus. He starts out by calling us saints. And a couple weeks ago, for you football fans out there, we know that the um, New Orleans Saints were in the run for the Super Bowl. They didn't make it. And my son, being a sports fan, says, hey, Dad, he says, what is a saint? And as we've learned, it means to be holy. It means to be set apart. But we sometimes have this idea that a saint, I guess, would be a, a Christian superhero. You know, someone like a, a Mother Teresa, who is a wonderful woman, but she's up here and we're down here. But saint is something that God has called each and every one of us to. It's not something that we earn by our own merit. It's something that we receive because of what Jesus did when he paid the price for our sins on the cross. And he starts out by calling us saint, and you'll see Paul refer to Christian believers as saints throughout the scriptures. And it wasn't what they deserved. It wasn't, as a matter of fact, in Corinthians, he calls a group of them that he wound up rebuking them for some of the sin that they were in. But he started out first by telling them who they were in God and that they were saints and that each one of us is a saint. And then he continues and he begins to talk about how each of us has been chosen and accepted in the beloved. And in Matthew, God opens up the heavens. He speaks to Jesus and says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So when he refers to us as accepted in the beloved, we've been accepted in Christ. We've been accepted 
in Jesus. And now what's so amazing because of the blood of Jesus and the price that he paid for us, God now looks at every person inside this room and says, because you're in union with Jesus, you're my beloved son, you're my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. And that everything that Jesus earned, we now get and receive and deserve. We deserve what Jesus paid for only because of what he paid for. But then Paul goes on the next several verses from verses about four all the way to 14. He goes on this expansion of just praising God and thanking God. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he begins to thank him for all the spiritual blessings that God has given us in Christ. And just to, to kind of go through these quickly and just to see all these things that Paul is thanking God for what he's done in us, it says that he's chosen us, that he's predestined us, that he's adopted us. Adoption's a powerful term because you don't adopt something you don't want. Adopt, when you adopt you choose that child to be yours. That we've been adopting it as sons and his daughters. He said, I want that one. And he chose us for his kingdom. Chose us to have relationship with him. He says, we've been accepted in the beloved. That he's redeemed us through his blood. He's forgiven all our sins. He's given us wisdom and insight. He's made known to us the mystery of his will. And he's given us an inheritance. So all the way up until verse 14, Paul is saying, man, God, thank you for doing all these things for us. Thank you for all the spiritual blessings that we've received in Christ Jesus. And then we get to verse 15. So after doing all that and praising God for all that, he says, therefore also, speaking to the saints of Ephesus, he says, after I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you always in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So he writes this one continual sentence. They say in the Greek, it's just a, a complete run on in English, but in the Greek, it was just one Long sentence, thanking God for all he'd given to us. And after all of that, he comes and he says, and now I've heard of your faith, and I've heard how you love the other believers. And he's thanking God for them. Pastor Justin just did a video, maybe you saw it, and he was, it reminded me of this verse. He was saying, man, I'm so thankful for you and for what God's doing in your life and seeing all the things that God is doing. And I believe that's where Paul was. But he says, man, but there's more. He says, the thing I pray for you is that God would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. That word knowledge means to experience. Man, that you would experience God. There was so much more. Remember, this is the guy that was caught up into the third heavens. And he says, I love where you're at. I love what God's doing in you. He says, man, but I keep on praying that you would experience more of God. Maybe even in the ways that Paul says that I have. And I think about my children sometimes, and I actually think about your children sometimes, as they come to mind, either when I'm praying or in my prayer times, and I think, man, I want them to experience 
God, even some of the ways that I did when I was young. Like I remember the time that God, the first time I read my Bible and it felt like the words jumped off the page into my heart. Does anybody remember that first time maybe that ever happened where the Bible became real to you? And I don't want my kids just to play church. I don't want them just to come to church. I want them to experience the God that I've experienced. I was talking to Nikki, I think it was this, or last Saturday we were talking with Ryan and Nikki, and I remember this is so silly and simple, yet so real to me. I remember in fourth grade, I was my son's age, I played football every day. I said, oh God, I can't find that football that I had. I swear I looked everywhere in that whole house for that football. I opened my closet left and right, moved the clothes, not there. Next morning, or next day, I wind up checking, and for some reason, I open that closet, and the clothes are pulled away, and the football is right there. I said, there's no way that happened. Now, if my mom put it there, mom, don't tell me. I don't want to know. I want to believe my own story. But I know that I know that I know I looked all over for that dang thing, and God cared about something as silly and stupid as a football. He says, man, he cares for how much he cares for the sparrows. How much more does he care for us? But I want my kids to experience God. I remember the first missions trip that I went on. I remember the camps that I went on. Well, I think that's where Paul is at. He's like, man, I love where you're at, but I never want you to play church, and we don't. But, man, there's always more. There's more of God. There's more of his spirit. There's more of his presence. And that's what Paul's praying is that, man, I want God to give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you would know him even better. You know, that, that is the purpose of this whole letter when you look at it, is that you would know God. Really, that's the purpose of this entire book, is that why was this book written? So that we could, like my iPad and everything is all used in the kids' room, so I have to go with old uh, notes way here. But it's that we would know God, that this whole book is that we would know God. It starts out in Genesis with Adam and Eve, and they walked in the cool of the day, and they actually talked with God, and they communed with God, and that's how close they were to him. But when they sinned, there's consequences for sins, and those sins separated them from God. But the rest of the story from that point on, all through the Bible, what is it about? It's about God wanting so passionately for that relationship with you to be restored that the rest of the book is all about his passion to redeem mankind back to himself. And then he chooses the Israelites as a people to himself, and he tells, I want you to build me a sanctuary because I want to come dwell among you and be with you. And they built him a tent, and then it turned into a temple, and the presence of God was there, and when the presence of God was there, they'd have peace, they'd have prosperity, they'd have joy, they'd win victory over their enemies. And as this time went, and then as time went on, man, they rebelled against God, and God moved away. Thank you. Excuse me, they rebelled against God, and God, they left God, and his presence left them for a time. But do you know that even when they turned away from him, he never left them. For about 400 years, I guess you could say the heavens were somewhat silent, and God was silent, but he never left them. And finally, he came to the place and said, forget it, I'm going down there. 
Emmanuel, God is with us. In Matthew chapter 1, it says, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream to Joseph, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. So with the moment that Jesus came, just think about it. God said, man, I want them so bad. I'm going to go down there and be with them. And then he restored relationship back to you and I. So whether you're here for the very first time and it's your first time in church, or you've been a Christian for many, many years, this Bible is proof that God has been pursuing you all along. I was sharing with someone this morning is that I was just encouraging them that sometimes that voice, like Pastor Justin was sharing, is in your ears so loud you can think that you're losing. You can think that you're not winning. But the truth is, is that if you're in this room today, you're winning. That God is moving in your life. That why are you here? Why is, sometimes you think, why are some people, why is my family soft towards God? Why are you soft towards God and some aren't? God wants everybody to be saved. It says in uh, 1 Peter 3, 9, it's his desire for everybody to be saved. But I haven't come across every person that's soft towards God. You were. And why? Because God's been pursuing you. And it's a blessing that, man, thank you, Jesus, that, and he chose me, and he predestined me, and he wanted me to be his child, and he wanted you to be his child. So know that, man, if you're in this room, it's because God has been pursuing you. It says in John 17, 3, it says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. That's what this whole book is about, and that's what Paul prayed, that you would know God, the only true God, and his son Jesus, whom he sent. You know, a, a book that I, in the Bible that I never really like to read, and I hear a lot of people would say that, I mean, I like to read Psalms. Well, I, I just didn't. It, it, it was awkward for me. I would read one sentence, would talk about, oh, how I love God, and the next sentence would be like, kill my enemies. And I was like, I don't exactly follow this. I, I had trouble with understanding that. And uh, so I kind of just didn't read it very often. And, uh, but about three years ago, I started prayer journaling myself. And then all of a sudden, uh, some, either I read it or I meant, someone mentioned it, and I thought, wow, that is a neat way to look at Psalms. And maybe in a lot of ways, Psalms is the prayer journal of men and women of God who served him throughout the years. And what did God do? He met them right where they were at, where sometimes they would feel like they wanted God to strike down their enemies, and they'd tell them about it. And then there was times when they were filled with joy, and they'd tell them about it. And then there was times that they were filled with anger, they were hurt, and, and man, they'd tell about them, tell them about it. And he didn't reject them. He met them right where they were at. And there's a lot of psalms in the Bible um, written by David. 
And uh, when you begin to look at David, it, you find these verses where he talks about the presence of God and his desire for the presence of God. And I wanted to share some of them with you. In Psalm 27, verses 4 through 5, it says, One thing I have desired of the Lord, that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to hold, behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Go ahead, Nico. For in the time of trouble, Psalm 27, 4 through 5, for in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. Psalm 139, verses 7 through 8. It says, where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. Man, it's, he's with us through the good times, and he's with us through the hard times. He says, where is he? He's right there. Next verse, Nico. Psalm 23, verse 4, he says, Yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And it was God's presence that gave David peace. It was God's presence that gave him strength and gave him comfort. I share these verses with you because these verses are the heart cry of a man who wanted to know God. And that's Paul's prayer for us. That's Paul's prayer for the Ephesians is that, that we would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we could know God. Two more. Psalm 51, verse 1. This is one of my favorites. He says, in, actually, it says, um, do, not cast from me, do not cast me from your presence or take away your Holy Spirit from me. That's not verse 1. But uh, the scripture's right. The reference is wrong. But before that, he says, um, create and Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. He says, don't cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Now, this was at a moment where he had committed adultery. The lady that he committed adultery with, Bathsheba, became pregnant. He killed her husband so that nobody would find out. He covered it up. And this is the man that God says, this is a guy that's man after my own heart. Why? Because when he came to, he would say, Lord, please forgive me because I want your presence more than anything. And that's an amazing thing that I've been learning about the presence of God as you look through different stories in the scripture. There's a man named Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was this tax collector that everybody hated because he stole from everybody. And one day he's waiting for Jesus, and he sees him, and he's a short guy, so he goes and climbs in a tree, and Jesus sees him and says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm coming to your house today. And Zacchaeus excitedly and joyfully gets down, and all of a sudden, people begin to say, wait a second. That's the Zacchaeus, the tax collector. He steals from everybody. And Zacchaeus says, wait, 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 wait. He says, I am not allowing the presence of God. I'm not allowing Jesus to leave my home. I'll repay fourfold what I stole because I want the presence of God so bad in my life. And the presence of God causes you to turn away from sin that you go, you know what, I just want God so much that, Lord, strip away from me everything that's not of you. There's a woman at the well. She comes to the well, and Jesus is there, and he, she says, he says to her, give me a drink. And she says, why are you asking me for a drink? You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. He told her, 
if you knew the gift of God, if you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for a drink. And he tells her, go get your husband. And she says, well, I don't have a husband. He says, yeah, you're right. She says, you've had five, and the one you're now with isn't your husband. And she says, she realizes that he's a man of God. He kind of read her mail, and he says, I'm the Messiah. And she, she went, and she told everybody in the whole town about this Messiah that talked to her and spoke to her and loved her and was willing to give her the rivers of living water. The presence of God changes people. Even as I prepared this, this message, you know, sometimes we think about repentance and we think, oh, that's a term that's like, oh, God's mad at me. I got to fix everything about me. I have to repent that I have to, because God's mad at me and I'm guilty and I'm unworthy and I'm ashamed. That's what repentance means. But really it just means, and God stripped me of everything that's not of you and thank you so much for what you think about me. I want your presence in my life. Even as I prepared this message, there was times where I would just have to, like I said, I'd go turn on a worship song and to say, Lord, I want you in my life. Take away everything out of me that's going to separate me. I can't be separated from God for eternity, but my fellowship with God, and I never want anything to come in, come in the way of that. And that's what happened to these men. They just said, ah, Lord, I just want you. I'll give up anything to have you. The presence of God changes people. Psalm 42, 1 and 2, it says, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Think about this image. This isn't the image of Bambi running through the forest with, you know, rivers and streams and beautiful. Imagine in the desert, this deer is panting for water out of its life in the scorching heat. Have you ever wanted God that bad? That's what these psalmists are talking about. That's what Paul's talking about, that we would want God that bad, that we desire to know him that bad. There's been times I can say, yeah, I wanted God that bad. And there's been times I can say, yeah, maybe I haven't wanted God that bad. But, Lord, I want that restored in my life. That's my prayer, that my children would want God that much, that you would want God that much because there's more new day. That's what God's been putting on my heart. There's more. There's more of his presence for you. There's more of his presence for your family. There's more of his presence for your children and his presence for your home. Man, God, there's more. And he, he sealed us with the Holy Spirit. We've received the Holy Spirit. But you find in Acts 19, they came to him, to, to believers, and they said, have you ever received the Holy Spirit? They were already Christians. He says, have you ever received the Holy Spirit? So we didn't even hear of them. And, they made, and God poured out his spirit, and there was more of him to have. Well, there's more of God's presence. There's more of him, more knowledge of him, more experiences that you can have of him. I remember when I was probably about 22, I had this area in my room when my room was clean, which wasn't very often. I had this one place that I kind of reserved for God. He didn't get much because the rest of it was filled with clothes. But this one side of my bed was my quote-unquote place, and I met with God, and I had a little, a little stool there that I put my Bible on or my confession cards on. And I would pace back and forth. Imagine that. I'd go back and forth walking in this one little area next to my bed. And I remember the time at night I was just spending with him, and it was, I felt the presence of God in my bedroom at whatever I was, 20 years old or 22 years old. Man, I want 
my children to experience that. I want you to experience that. I want people that are out there in the world to experience the presence of God. Because when the God's presence is there, his power is there. His power follows his presence. There's a man that Amy and I love to um, uh, read about. His name is Brother Andrew. Anybody heard of Brother Andrew? There's a couple. So Brother Andrew was a Bible smuggler. He would smuggle Bibles into communist countries. He's about 90 years old now. <clears throat> He's still doing it. Now he meets with terrorists. And it's amazing. He'll sit with a terrorist, and he'll give them Bibles. And because he's so gutsy and so bold, they respect him for who he is. And, uh, but he started out in the days of the communist Russia and communist Romania. He would smuggle Bibles into these communist countries. And there was one time that as he was smuggling these Bibles into this country of Romania, the customs at the border, there was three cars ahead of him. He thought, oh, this is great. I'm going to get right through. But they searched the first car for an hour. They took off the hubcaps. They looked through the whole car. Well, Brother Andrew had his whole car filled with Bibles. There was no way they wouldn't be found. And so what he decided to do is he took them out of the packages and he spread them all over the car. And he said, there's no way I'm going to be able to hide these Bibles on my own. So I'm going to make, as an act of faith, I'm going to put them all out everywhere so that they can be seen. And he said, Lord, you made blind eyes see. Now please make seeing eyes blind. And all this, they walked, he drove right through. In a matter of seconds, they just passed him on through. And these Bibles were delivered all over the country of Romania. And we love reading. You can go ahead and clap. It's an amazing story. I mean, they, if you ever want to read an amazing book that will stir your faith, it's called God's Smuggler. But Amy and I read it at a restaurant. We had a two-hour wait. And so we just sat there before we were married when we didn't have kids, and we just sat there and we just read in the waiting. But that book, that man is a great man of God, and he's done amazing things. I mean, China, everywhere, terrorists, he just goes into the places that are the worst of the worst, and he goes there to build up the church. And my wife and I just love to read his stories, and they engage you to think, man, I can be bold for Christ too. But there's some men that asked him, they said, they were young. They said, how do, these, how, do we, how do these amazing things happen? What do we have to do to, to see the same power that flows through you flow through us? And Brother Andrew said, if you could show that next slide. Oh, one more. I skipped ahead, sorry. I skipped ahead twice. So go ahead and one more so I can show the picture of him. <clears throat> there he is. Sorry, Nico, I'm not as smooth as Justin is with that. But what did he say? He said, stick close to Jesus. And God's power follows his presence. There was a shepherd boy. He would go into the fields and he would worship God with a harp. And he spent time, all the time with God in the fields. And he would play his harp and he would sing and he would worship God because he desired God so much. And when he was out there, a lion attacked him. And the power of God showed up, and he slayed a lion. He was out there one day, and he was shepherding the sheep, and he's singing to God, and a bear attacked him, attacked the sheep. 
And he killed the bear because the power of God showed up where the presence of God was, and it protected him. And then later on in life, there was a man named Goliath that stood before all of Israel. And this little shepherd boy looks up and says, who's this uncircumcised Philistine that defies the God that I know? And he took five stones because he was familiar with the presence of God. He took those five stones and he slung them. And one stuck Goliath right in the head and he struck down Goliath. And that man became King David, the king of Israel. But he was a shepherd boy that was pursuing his God. He wasn't going after fame. He wasn't going after fortune. He wasn't going after a kingdom. All those things wound up being added to him. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and all things will be added to you. God has a way of making everything else kind of work out when you seek him first. But what does it say? That first, one of those, in Psalm, verses 4 through 5. It says, One thing I've desired of the Lord, David said, that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And that's what David's heart was. Is it, God, I want to know you. You're the one thing that I want. When he fell into sin and he got out of it or he repented for it, what did he say? He says, God, don't let your presence leave me and don't, uh, Holy, don't have your Holy Spirit leave me. He wanted the presence of God. And that's what Paul's prayer is for each one of us. And then you look into verses 18, which I didn't get to very well, but it says that exactly what I was talking about is in those first two verses, Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 17, it talks about this prayer of knowing God. But he continues, and he says that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you would know the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power that works towards us who believe? In the old days, in the Old Testament, the power of God, he would say, You'd see in the scriptures that he would say, remember that I'm the God that took you out of the land of Egypt, that he took them across the Red Sea and he did all those things. But in the New Testament, the power of God is that he raised Jesus from the dead and that Jesus that was raised from the dead lives in each and every one of us. And when we seek after the presence of God and his power follows along with it. And Pastor Justin's been sharing and the late and Judy and Maria and Amy and um, Linda and I know Patty's in here sometimes. You see him praying for every seat inside this room. And they're praying and that God's presence would fall and that people would be touched. And Pastor Justin's been talking about a move of God that's going to happen. And how God's put on his heart for a move of God. Well, I don't know everything about that move of God, what it's going to entail, but I can tell you one thing. It's going to be a move of his presence. And when the presence of God begins to come in more, when we begin to experience more and more of the presence of God, 
It's going to change our lives. And when we go outside these doors, we begin to take that presence of God out into the communities in which we live. And the power of God flows along with it. All the great men of God. When you look at great men of God, they, had a, they went after the presence of God. And his power just showed up behind it. So how do we get it? Something we earn? Is it something that we do enough to get? This is hard to even grasp. Luke 11, verses 9 through 13. I've got Nico all messed up back there. Sorry, guys. Sorry, Nico. He's probably like, what is he doing? He says, so I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son among you asks bread from any father, will you give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a serpent instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? Man, he want, he's been pursuing you. He wants you to have more of him. He wants you to experience more of him. And we just need to ask for it. And I, as I shared earlier, sometimes we may need to repent. But repentance, as I said, isn't, oh, God, I'm so sorry for my life. It's like even as I was preparing this message, it was just a time where I went and I worshiped God and I said, Lord, I'm so thankful for your presence and I want more of your presence. And Lord, strip away anything from me that's not of you and help me, Holy Spirit, to walk in the way that you've already created me to be. And then thirdly, is you just persist. Judy's persistent, and Amy's persistent, and Maria's persistent, and they're going in, Linda, and they're praying for it. And when we begin to pray for it and ask God for it, know that he wants to give you more of him. He wants to give your children more of him. So I guess my message is receive it, New Day, because the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God is coming upon you. Amen? Amen. of worship team, you can stand with me. Let's just give Jim a hand. Although I wasn't able to spend any time in here while he was ministering, one thing that I did notice when I walked in is that he has a heart behind what he's saying. And actually, I think I'm going to be a kids minister after I do this. So uh, I'm going to be in there. They're fun. They're a fun, rowdy, excited group. Wendy Benji put all of his fishes, his little fishies, in his cup of water, and he thought it was really cool to eat soggy fishies. So. But I want you to realize the words that Jim spoke, that there is a move coming.
And I remember asking the Lord, how do you prepare for the move? And I, I got the picture of how do you prepare for a train to hit you? You can't. It doesn't matter how much you embrace yourself and get ready. When it hits you, it hits you, and it hits you in such a kind, graceful way. That he's going to wreck us for the good. He's going to cause us to see life differently. He's going to cause us to have a mindset that he has. To see people, the unlovely, we're going to be able to love them. Those who speak against us, we're going to be able to forgive them. We're going to begin to walk in a way that Jesus walked. By his spirit. It's by his spirit. It's by his spirit. It's not by our strength. It's not by our trying harder. It's not by us. I need to be a better Christian. This is not what that's about. It's about you being infused by the power of God to go live the life of God wherever you go, no matter who you're in front of, to be unashamed to be a son of God. Like Paul said, I'm unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? It's the power of God unto unto salvation to whomever will believe it. And some of us are timid. Some of us are scared to take steps and pray for people, to share the gospel with people. Where's Ed? Is Ed in this place? Ed, we have conversations over the last number of weeks about the boldness of his desire to just share the gospel with people, to be open and bold with others. And I pray that what's on him will get on some of us just as well, that when we leave these doors, we realize there's a world out there that desperately needs the answer of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't mean you have to learn how to preach a message to them. First and foremost, we must love them right where they're at. I've heard a statement just recently, and it broke my heart, but it reminds me of how we could be such a blessing. Is what's the lowest tip day for a waitress? Sunday afternoon after church. Simple little thing we could do is just tip a little bit more. To remind the person that, you know what, Jesus loves you, and I'm going to prove it by just saying, you know what, I know a lot of people come in here after Sunday service, and they just tip a little bit. But I'm going to tip you a lot and let you know that Jesus is thinking about you today. Those are steps of loving people right where they are with generosity just flowing through us with whatever we do. So rise up, New Day. Be the sons and daughters that you have been called to be. If I could exhort you with the message that Jim preached, take that prayer, turn it into a personal form, and pray. God, I pray that you give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation the knowledge to know you more, that I would walk in the power that you have given to me so that I could be a son that represents you wherever you go. That prayer could change your life. So thank you for being with us today. We're going to sing one more song. Before we